I'm going to ask some questions, um, and I want you to answer, but it's going to be by raising of hand. I want you also to know before I ask these questions that there are no follow-up questions. I'm not going to make you stand and say anything. I used to go to churches and they would say, who's a visitor? And you'd, I didn't want to commit because you never knew. They might make you stand, tell you where they were, and I didn't want to do anything else. So I want you to know I'm not going to pull any tricks on you. I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know the answer to a couple questions. The first question is this. Who is among the campers is here for the very first time? Okay, a number of you. Okay, okay, that's important. Now, here's the second question. This is a really important one. If you are a camper, not a counselor, not a staff member, raise your hand. I mean, you've got to commit to this, all right? Now, here's the point. If you have your hand up, you can answer questions. If you didn't raise your hand, keep your mouth shut. All right? I just want to make that clear. I have to make that real clear for the people because sometimes people forget, you know. And um, I want to talk to you about things, and I want to know what you think because I got gray hair. It's a long time since I was where you're at. I admit that. All right? This March was my 50th anniversary of coming to know the Lord. 50 years. That's a long time. <laughs> That's, uh, I was, when I was in your age, I thought by the time I was 50, it was over. I mean, 50, age 50. All right, to know the Lord for 50 years, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's incredible. Which means that although everybody in this room is exactly the same in the temptation, the things you're going to face are exactly the same in one sense, the way it comes to you is different because cultures change. The vocabulary of cultures change. And, and the Word of God doesn't change. But how you understand that word does change. And in order for me to interact with you and find out what you think, then it is imperative that I ask you some questions and you talk to me. I'm going to have to come down there because this is way too far away from you. All right. But anyway, but I, but I want you to do that. Now, the students in the staff, they've already heard me and they know what the right answer is. And I don't want the right answer. I want to know what you think. All right. So that's what we're going to be going over here. Um, <clears throat> I came to know the Lord 50 years ago, all right? It was in March, I think. I'm not good with dates, but it was March, April, somewhere along here. I was at a conference, and I came to know the Lord. And from that moment on, I had a desire to help the kingdom of God come to pass. That's just what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do at the very beginning was to be a missionary. As I thought, man, the United States were just saturated in gospel. It's just saturated. And I want to go to people. You know, there's people on the earth that don't even know the name of Jesus today. That's incredible. 2,000 years. All the equipment we have, and there's still people who don't know what, who Jesus is. They haven't, they, don't, they haven't rejected him. They don't even know he's out there. And so that's what I wanted to be involved in. But God has his choices. He has his choices. I mean... He's the Lord of the harvest. He has his plans, and he equips us for, for whatever he wants us to do. And he's, he's, as you're going to hear, because I, I know from what Matt Rogers said last night, that <clears throat> during this week, he's going to talk to you about your role in the kingdom of God. If you're going to experience all that he's talking about, you're going to be involved in that. 
But it didn't take very long in my experience to realize that that was not what God called me to do. All right. And I'm saying this because you have to understand what's going to happen this morning in all these morning sessions. God sent me eventually to talk to people who already knew the gospel. My ministry has almost completely been to people who already knew the Bible. They have all the phrases. They know all the things that this says. And my entire ministry has been to take this word to people. I'm never telling them anything new. I'm not going to tell you anything new. But kind of, uh, this is trying to take them and, and make them do this. Look at it. Think about it. What does it say? What are you going to do about that? Because I was in the same category that Mary was. I was in the same category that Matt Rogers was. I've got a feeling that I could say that same thing when Sarah gives her testimony tonight and when Ben gives his testimony the next night. What is it? Grew up in a Christian home. Had it right in front of me. Had all the truth right in front of me. I had a Bible, which I got when I was in the third grade because I memorized the books of the Bible and they gave you your own Bible and it had my name on it. I still have that Bible. It's pretty beat up, but I had it. Uh, I, um, it's beat up now, but it wasn't beat up then. Why? I didn't read it. Except at Christmas or I took it to church. Right? I did all those things. But I, I, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. You know, you can have a vocabulary for something and not understand what the vocabulary is. When I was in uh, high school in Orlando, or not, yeah, in Orlando, Florida, um, they couldn't have sport events for kids on Wednesday night because so many kids went to church on Wednesday night. And they went to what was called a prayer meeting. That's a thing which has probably pretty much disappeared from the churches you're in. Uh, it's, it's, they don't do that anymore that way. And it's nothing, it's not good or bad. It just, it just is a change in culture and how we run church. But we call it a prayer meeting. The funny thing about prayer meeting was this. You could go week after week and they never really prayed. They had a Bible study. Now, a Bible study is a good thing, right? Bible study is a good thing. But it was always called prayer meeting because originally, in the middle of the 1800s, a revival took place in which God just poured out a spirit of prayer on the church in the United States, particularly. And there were prayer meetings everywhere. And the Wednesday night prayer meeting was the end of that. It was, it's what, but over the years, it stopped being a prayer meeting and it became a Bible study. But it never changed names. So that the vocabulary didn't match the reality. And that's a real problem we have, I think, for those of us that grew up in the church. We have all the vocabulary, but we don't ever, we, we, we have a twisted view of what that vocabulary actually means. And so my job as a teacher has been to make people face what, they're actu- what they actually say they believe. And Think about the implications of that in our actual experience of life. Because what happens and what happened to me and what happens to a lot of us is this. We have a, a church life and we have a real life. All right. This is what we are when we are at church. And this is what I am when I'm everywhere else. 
All right. That's just reality. It's just the way things go. It's, it's what happens to us. Uh, it's what happened to me. I had all the right things over here. I did the right things. I was a good boy in church. I was a nice guy. Okay. And over here, I was a liar and a lot of other things. But uh, two different lives. And the worst part about it was I didn't see a problem with it. It's just the way I thought it worked out. Because Christianity was something you did. And then you lived over here. All right. I never brought those two together. We want to think about what God has to say about Now, what we're going to be thinking about this week is the matter of faith. I'm thinking about that because I'm getting ready for a new course. All right. So I've been thinking all summer about faith, reading about it, looking through the New Testament about it, reading people's statements about it. That's what I'm thinking about. So I might as well um, talk about it, you know, because that's what's on my mind and heart that I have to. And uh, that's important because it takes me back to the very beginning of my it's 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 the it's a picture and I, I wanted to, people who are new here to understand this but i've said it so many times i sat with my sister in a room when i was about 14 or 15 i don't know exactly when it was it's too long ago to remember how old exactly i was she was still in high school and i was still in high school so it, it had to be about that age And we sat there and we talked about this matter. In order to know God, I was going to have to have faith. Without faith, you can't can't get close to God. But I didn't know what faith was. Now, there's a scary thought, isn't it? Heaven and hell depend on whether or not I exercise faith. But I can't even define faith. I don't know what it is exactly. Because if I'm wrong on this, when I find out that I'm wrong, there's no way to rectify it. Right? Do you get that idea? This is one of the things I did catch from the Bible. That once you, you pass out of this experience into eternity, it's done. Right? Then, then it's fixed. And if you find out you did it wrong, too late. And eternity is a long time. Right? So I'm scared. I'm scared. And I couldn't define it. Isn't that interesting? I've been in the church all my life. I've been reading the Bible. I've been listening to messages. I've been doing all this stuff. And I don't know for sure what faith is. When when I came to know the Lord, the verse which I use, this is my thing, this is the way I approach my ministry is this. Come, let's reason together, says the Lord. Let's reason together. Let's stop and think about it. Let's investigate to find out what we're really talking about with the hope that a person will then embrace it for what it is. So let's pray and then we'll trust the Lord and we'll look at this uh, matter together. Father, we come before you and again we're asking you to work by your spirit to teach us your word. And to help us to understand where we are, where we need to go what we need to do. And so we come and trust you for it, and we would look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to be thinking about the book of John uh, for the first couple days. I don't know how far we'll get in all this, but we'll we'll start there. And I happen to know, and I won't say how I happen to know, but I happen to know that you're going to hear a whole lot about the book of John. 
All right. I just happen to know that. All right. So um, you already heard a lot about the book of John, right? Mary's life verse came from the book of John. Um, Pastor uh, Roger, that was last night. He was he was talking about John. He's, and there's good reason for that. Now, let's think about John for just a second. John was a real man. That's the first thing. I mean, we sometimes think about the Bible sort of like a movie, like where they're created characters. This was a real person who actually saw Jesus Christ on the earth. He actually saw him. Now, John was, uh, he was close to Jesus. He is called in the Bible the one who is the beloved disciple. <laughs> of all the disciples, he was the beloved one. And that, that's interesting. That, and he called himself that. He understood his relationship to be that. John was probably the youngest of the disciples. Uh, we don't know that, but just from the way things work out, it seems like he was fairly young. In fact, um, there's good evidence, and again, we won't go into all that because it's not important, that he wasn't a whole lot older than you are. He was probably in his late teens, early 20s, very much younger than the other disciples. It is important when, when the day of Pentecost comes and Peter and John stand there. It's Peter and John, but John doesn't do anything. And one of the reasons I think he doesn't do anything is because he's too young to do anything in a Jewish culture. You know, you don't in the Jewish culture, you weren't considered to have any say in anything until you were 30. All right. And so he just stands beside Peter and whatever you say, Peter. All right. But he's, he's very young. But um, he had a unique experience because he was the beloved one in, in the last in the upper room when they were having their last supper together um, he had the place of prominence he was given the here he is the youngest one but he was given the 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 place of prominence and he obviously had an inside they thought he had an inside because peter wanted the answer to a particular question and he, he instead of asking jesus himself he says john you ask him ask him what's the deal here all right because of john's john is the only disciple who saw the crucifixion. He's the only one. All the other disciples were somewhere else. They had all hidden. Uh, Peter was out mourning his desertion of Jesus. But John was there. He saw it. John had seen all the miracles. He, had, he was in the little boat when the storm came. He was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. He watched this happen. Wouldn't that be something? Can you imagine that? You give a guy... A couple fish and a couple loaves of bread. And then you keep going back and getting basket after basket. And where are you getting this stuff? I mean, you would have to be asking. Wouldn't you ask that question? I mean, you wouldn't have just said, well, I've read it in the Bible that he does this. And no, this is a. <laughs> and, and, and we're not. It, there's no stores there. There's nowhere for him to be getting it. And he watched this happen. He watched Jesus walk on the water. He was there when Lazarus came out of the grave after four days. That's incredible. He sees all this stuff. And here's the most important part. John was the very first disciple who saw the empty grave. Now, there were other people that the women had gotten there first. But when they told the disciples, Peter and John went to get it. And they got excited and they started running. And Peter was a little older, John was nimble, and John beat him to the tomb by so much that he was able to take the whole thing in and understand before Peter even huffed and puffed and came in the door. All right? But he saw it first. He was the first one to see all the wrappings there. He knew that one way or another, 
it wasn't just that the whole body had been moved because they would have moved the wrappings too. All the wrapping is laying there, but Jesus isn't there. He's trying to take that in. Now, does he know that he rose from the dead at that point? I don't know how much. I mean, that would have been tough to take in because I've never seen anybody rise from the dead and uh, on their own and uh, on any other case. So he would have been going through a lot. Now, when that was... Because he saw that, and again, then, then that evening, let me go on to the evening. In the evening, remember, the disciples are together except for Thomas, and Jesus appears there, and there he's right there. You know what they did? Uh, this, is, this is what John says he did, because he, he tells us this in First John. I touched him. <laughs> First thing that would come to your mind is, I'm seeing a vision. I've known people who's, who had close relatives die, and who believed they saw them later on. But they were a vision. You know, they didn't last. They weren't there. They did. So they held on to him. I'm going to, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually, this isn't, a, this isn't a fake Jesus. This isn't somebody pretending he's Jesus. He's cut and he, he saw all this. And Jesus ate with them to prove it. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I'm really here. Right? Because of that, John stood for Jesus the rest of his life. In all those 11 minutes, one of the great testimonies that Christianity is real. All 11 of those men stood the rest of their life on what they believed happened. So it wouldn't have been something they made up because there's no way you can get 10 of the 11 were martyred. They were killed for their faith. John's the only one that wasn't killed for his faith, but he went through a lot because of his faith. And they never moved from that. Now, you might get a couple people to get together and make a conspiracy and say, we're going to promote this error. And hey, and then, but you aren't going to get a whole group of people, not 11 men, to put their life down independently. They weren't living together. They, weren't, they couldn't help each other out. They went all kinds of different directions. But they did it because they knew what Jesus had done. They saw it with their eyes. Now, I want to say why I say that. Because the, the gospel of John is written for a reason. Everybody else wasn't going to be that he was concerned about, wasn't going to be able to see what he saw. Jesus, he, he was there. John was also there on the day when Jesus ascends into heaven. That would have been something to see a person. And there he goes up into the clouds. But once he had done that, the potential for you, the potential for me, to also see the risen Christ is gone, right? It's finished. It's over. We don't have that chance today. We have to face that. We don't. So how is it that we can come to a place of real confidence in God? Well, here's the way it was going to take place. Jesus told him what to do. He says, you go and testify. Tell people what you saw. That's what a testimony is. You tell what you know, right? Is that what you do? Give a testimony in a court. What did I say? What did you see? Uh, That's what I saw. You go and tell them. And here's here's what it says. As you go and tell them, the Spirit of God is going to take that and He's going to tell them it's true. That's the way it works. That's why I'm here this morning. That's why I've done this for 50 years. What is the hope that I can change your mind? Zero. There's zero hope that I can change your mind. I didn't see the risen Christ, but that's what the testimony is. 
Now, the Lord's done a lot of things for me, and I could tell you testimony about what he's done for me, but that's not the important thing today. The important thing is, what does it, what's the word say? That this is what John says happened. And as we think about what John said, this is his testimony to us, the Spirit of God will take that and he'll use that. If, that's, if a person's going to come to know God, that's how it's going to happen in this day. Now, that's what John tells us, the reason he wrote the book. Let's, let's look at John chapter 20. Again, these are well-known things. John chapter 20, verse 30. I want you to read this. This is why John says he wrote this book. Right? Why did he write it? And here's what it says. All right, the questions are about to come, so pay attention here. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. All right. So here it comes the questions. We have to get warmed up. It's an easy one. All right. What is the reason he wrote it? What's the purpose of his writing? I just feel so far away, but I won't come down there. All right. What is the purpose? Now, remember, only people that have put their hand up can answer the question. It's not a hard one. I'm going to wait for you. What's it say? Boy, we're going we're gonna to work on Matt said you were quiet. I didn't mean you could be this quiet. All right, come on. You're challenging me. See who can hang in the longest. Okay, here it is. A, a volunteer. Good. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, that they would believe. He wrote this so that they would believe. All right, that's what he says in one sense. But there's another thing. There are two words he puts in here that are real important. What else does he say? What is the reason why he wants them to believe? We're getting rolling. Come on. There you go. That you might have life, right? Isn't that it? You might have life. So there's two words that he puts together. We're going to be talking about faith, but you can't separate the idea of faith from the idea of life. Faith is the means to life, right? And life is the issue, right? Life is the issue. And that's pretty much what we're going to be thinking about this morning. Now, let's do another exercise. I'm going to do an exercise. We're going to, we have to get rolling here, okay? I'm going to come down here because I think you're down to move away. Um, I have an exercise I, I give to people who are training to learn how to speak. All right. This is an exercise we do. I have them give a sermon, write a sermon out on the gospel. But before I have them write it, I give them a list of words that they can't use. Faith, sin, cross. You go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I take all the gospel words out and I say, now, you have to tell me the gospel without using the gospel words. Because, you know, one of the things that's easy for us to do is get a vocabulary and we can repeat vocabulary. We can throw it out. We know the right answer to that is. But we don't have a clue what that means. And we don't even take time to think about it. This is the danger of the church. We get used to saying the things, but we don't know what it really means. Right. We don't know what that means. So what is it? So here's here's a good one. 
What other ways does the Bible express the idea of faith? Now, I'm asking you because this will give me an idea of how you view faith because that's what we have to do is think about our view and where we're at and where we need to be. What are some of the other ways? If you were required, like I did those others, to give a whole message on what it means to believe in Jesus and not use either the word believe or faith, what would you use? What biblically would you use? This is where you, your vast knowledge of the Bible comes into play. Can you think of anything? Live for? Okay, to live for. That, that would be a, a way you could put it. All right. What's another one? To trust, trust. That's that's another one. Okay, it's a good one. Anybody else? Think about. Okay, there's a turn from feature of it. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Yeah, there is a turn. That, that's part of it. There is a turn aspect to faith. All right. Somebody else. This is good. We're starting to get alive here. Okay, here we go. To follow. Okay. Okay, because Jesus said to some guy, follow me, follow me. And when he said that, they did, and they found life, right? So in that, think about some of the Psalms, maybe. Okay, to love him. All right, there's an element of that in there. There's no question about that. Um, think about the passage in that, that those that wait on the Lord. Think about some of these other ways. But those that wait on the Lord will gain a new strength. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You see, to acknowledge God in your ways is to exercise faith. Now, sometimes we use a, uh, an illustration of faith. I know I said this last year, but I'm going to say it again because it's, and, and we use this. I have faith in this chair. Watch. I didn't fall on the floor, right? And, and I exercise faith. And there is an element of truth in that. But it doesn't describe biblical faith, right? Now, in the book of John, there are two other ways that John particularly expresses the idea of faith. Now, he uses the word believe more than any other New Testament writer. He also uses the word life more than any other New Testament writer. Because the issue really is life. We're going to get to that in just a moment. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's what I came for. I didn't come so that people would exercise faith. I came so that they might really be alive. All right? So if I, if I don't get to that, then I'm not getting to the New Testament. All right? So, but when he's talking about faith, there's two others. All right? In, in a passage which was alluded to last night, in which we will talk about and other anyway says this. Um, he who comes to me, he who believes in me, will never hunger, or he who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Right. Now that's a Hebrew parallelism. That means that he's putting the two things: the thirsting and the hungering are really the same thought. Right. That you're, you're having something satisfied, and the coming to him. And the faith are parallel. You see, when I came to that chair, I didn't have a relationship with the chair. All right? I don't say, oh, chair. 
I, I, I don't want to offend you, but I'm going to sit in this chair. Is that okay with you? Okay. I, I, just, I mean, it's no problem. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, because the chair does not have life. It doesn't have a personality. I can't hurt it. I mean, now people are funny, you know, they get, they start treating their cars like they're a person or their phone like it's a person or something. But it's not a person and it has no, no reaction. Okay. Now that's one side of it. So that Jesus can describe faith as coming to him, to a person. So that if, and I have to actually come. Now there's a second side. You know this passage. Uh, it's in the very beginning of the book of, of uh, John. As he's describing the coming Lord in introduction. He says this. And he came unto his own. All right. He came to earth. And he says he came unto his own. That was the Jewish people. And what does it say? Anybody remember? I know you remember, but you just don't want to say it. And his own did not receive him. Right. He came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. And then to make sure that we're talking about faith, he says this. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. Right? So he gave this to the people who did what? Received him. That's what I just said. All right. These aren't hard questions. I just want to make sure you're still with me. All right. He received him. Well, see, they not only came to him, but he says received him. Now, what do you think the difference is between coming to and receiving? Now it's getting more difficult, so nobody's going to say anything. But Okay, good. Thank you. Okay, okay. And in order to, in order to take him in, what has to happen? Now, this is where it gets, a, you could come up, there's a lot of different ways. Okay, you need to believe. And, and what are you going to believe? You know, as far as, in, in what sense? Um, okay, what he's done for us. And believe that it's true, right? Believe that it's true. We've we got to come to him and receive him. See, I don't have to do that with a chair. A chair, we just, it's just there and I believe it will stay. But that, that element of faith just means that I, I have a confidence about something, but it didn't tell me. It didn't say, hey, come to me. I am strong enough to hold you up. But when you come to Jesus, you're always coming to receive something. But think about the story of John. What does it mean? What, what happens in the book of John when Jesus actually comes? What does he do when he comes? Okay, how, do, how does he do that? How does it actually happen? He shines a light on their sin. Okay, and how does he shine a light on your sin? Okay, he talks to you, right? He talks to you. That's what he did when he came, right? He, he came with a message. And there's two things that the book of John tells us he does. What is it? What's the one thing? Well, he talks, right? You've got these messages. I am, he says what? The bread of life. Right now. Once he says that, you have an alternative. Why doesn't somebody receive that? Right? Because they, they either don't believe him or they don't want it. 
they don't believe him or they don't want it. I am the light of the world, you see. <clears throat> and, and when he says that, what do you think he means when he says, I'm the light of the world? What, what do you think light means? Okay, and, and, but what does it help you do? What's light help you do? Okay, to see. So you can take, you can take actions which are meaningful, right? So again, if, if, if this whole, if the sun went off today, <laughs> right now, now how many of you have been, you know, it's hard to get there, have been in absolute darkness? Remember I've been there in a cave or something? It's very difficult because everybody wears watches that show and shine in the dark. So it's very difficult to get that absolute darkness. You have to have everybody take off their, put their cell phones in something and all the rest of it. Because anyway, we have too many light sources today. But if you get there, it's eerie. Because it isn't just dark where I can hardly see. You can't see. If there is no light, you can't see. I was a very little boy before all those watches were there when I was in the caverns of Luray and they turned off the lights and I was scared to death. Because I'm stuck in a hole in the ground and I can't even see where I'm at. And I was actually in the back of it and I was kind of cramped. I was so claustrophobic that I'm going crazy. Then they turned the lights back on. Because then I'll know where to go. Then I'll know where to go. A couple of years ago, we went to the uh, the caverns and oh boy, I can't remember their name now. Uh, but anyway, they're, you get a mile deep in them. You take a walk back into them, you get a mile deep. And I was way back at the very end of this circuit, and I do have a little claustrophobia at times, you know. <laughs> like, and we were going down a very narrow passageway. And as we're going down that narrow passageway, of course, they got lights all there hung in there. I thought, what would happen if the lights went out right here? And I had to make my, <laughs> I like light, all right? The difference between being in the darkness in that cave and being in the light in that cave are, that's a pretty big contrast, isn't it? That's a pretty big contrast. And that kind of hits your soul, doesn't it? Now, what's Jesus say about himself? I'm the light, right? Yeah. He says, I'm the son of God. I'm, I'm the light. I'm the one. And if you listen to what I'm saying, what will happen? You won't walk in darkness. You won't be living because that's what we do. I mean, that's what, that's what we live. I mean, I was in high school. I mean, I don't know why I'm making these decisions. How do I know what to do? What's the right way to go? What's the right choices in life? Now, I was caught in a dilemma. Let me just tell you about my high school career because again i think it's it's the kind of dilemma you guys run into uh, and i don't know what your particulars are on it but you see vietnam was being fought at the time and friends of mine were in fighting over there and if you went there you had a chance of getting killed so i'm thinking about getting killed all right because they were getting killed and i didn't want to go there all right and I was trying to decide, and this is just on a practical basis, how should I live my high school career? 
Should I go for all the fun I could get because once I graduate, I could end up getting killed in Vietnam? Or should I carefully live through this so that in the future, I'm not living with all the baggage of the junk that I did back here? That's a tough decision, isn't it? Who knows? Because if I save my life for the future, this is the way I looked at it at the time. If I if I protect my life and say, I'm going to plan for the long haul and there is no long haul, I'm the loser. But if I go for everything and mess my whole life up and don't end up in there, then I'm going to live with this. Because I had had friends that kind of fried themselves on drugs, too. I mean, people I knew, I won't say friends particularly. So you can you can mess it up either way, right? How do I know what to do? I didn't know what to do because I was in the darkness, right? Jesus says this, I I am the light of the world. Now, once I hear that, I have a choice. Do I believe him or not believe him? Do I or don't I? Now, I didn't think about that when I was in high school because nobody I knew at that time well, very few people that I knew were really trying to follow. And we just lived a, a cultural Christian life. I thought what Matt Rogers said last night was pretty much the way it worked out for me. Although, again, I had a lot to learn. Was that what changed my life was when I ran into people who actually took the Bible seriously. They said, if that's what it says, then that's the way I have to live. <laughs> if I, and, you know, I should take up a cross. And we're like, well, nobody I ever knew took up a cross. This is the way I should do it because that's what it says. But in order to move from this life to this life, what do I have to do? He says, I have to believe. I have to believe. Now, see how we're doing for time. Okay, well, it's just we're going to we're not going very well on time. But anyway, we're getting somewhere. All right. Now. Those are the alternatives. Now, what is the purpose of Jesus coming? What, there's a number of different ways the Bible says it. And I'll speed this up a little bit so that we can. Number one, he tells us that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why were they lost? Because they didn't know which way to go, right? They didn't know which way to go. And when they went the wrong way, that's, that's talking about me. Okay, it's, that's what we talked about this morning. We were all in that condition. We had lived the wrong way and we had wrecked what Matt was talking about last night. Remember, we were created in the image of God to look like him and to fellowship with him. But that wasn't where I was. <laughs> I didn't look like God and I didn't fellowship with God. And I was ruining my life. The purpose for which I was created was being ruined. That's what the word lost really means. It means to be ruined, to become worthless. Okay. That's one reason. So he came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to, in order to do that, it says, I came that I might give my life. I didn't come to minister unto, but to minister and to give my life as a ransom for many so that I could have life to redeem that. But in the book of John, he says it differently. He's talking, this is in the, the passage where we're getting down to the, the, shep, the shepherd and the sheep. It's just before the shepherd part, but it's just after he says that I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the way you get in here. And he says this, everybody that came before me, that's the teachers who didn't know what was going on. He said they were like wolves that, and, and they came to kill and to rob and destroy. Uh, okay, to rob, kill and destroy is what he puts it. And then he says this, but I've come. Why did he come? Anybody? That they might have life, right? Is that what she said? I can't hear all that well, so anyway. 
I heard somebody say it. I'm going to say you said it. All right. I came that they might have life. That's his purpose. The purpose of his dying as to save that which was lost. The purpose of his doing all these things, of, of giving his life a ransom, was so that I could have life. And then he says this about it. He says, not only that I could have life, but I could have what kind of life? Abundant life, right? Abundant life. All right. Now, take me back to, to high school. All right. Um, when it came to Christianity, that was not my picture of things. I did go to church. I didn't enjoy church. All right. Now, a question comes, if Jesus offers life to people, why don't they take it? That's, this is a big, big question. Why, don't, why doesn't everybody come to Jesus? Why doesn't everybody believe? After all, he died and rose again. That's a pretty big testimony to the fact that he knows what he's talking about because he beat death. He said he was going to do it. How about that? I'm going to rise from the dead, and he went and did it. And that's a, that's a reality. That is what is the foundation of my own personal faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If that's not true, then the whole thing falls apart. And it's, but it did what is true, and, and men testified to it, and they lived for it. Now, why don't people come? Because there's a choice. There's a choice. And you have a pull in you, and I have a pull in me, which goes a different direction because... We don't really believe that what he says about life is true. Right? Now, let me just ask you a question. And this is where I'm going to have to leave it because we're going to have three minutes. So I can leave you bubbling with this over the night. We'll start there tomorrow. If you had the perfect experience of life, what would it be? Now, you can say that on two levels. It's exactly what Matt was talking about last night. You can look at this two ways. One way you can say is, what would I need to be really living? All right? The second way you can look at it is, if I had that, what would it feel like? What would it be like? What is it like to be really alive? All right? And, and those are the two, two big questions. We can be deceived on that. All right? There was a guy who was a, we used to have these homiletics classes. This was bukus of years ago, so you don't know any of these characters. But uh, we had these homiletic classes, and uh, they would give these messages. And this guy started off with a joke. It's an old joke, and I'll, I'll trim it down, make it real short. It was a story about a uh, man who was very, very wealthy, very, very wealthy. He was also very powerful. And he had accumulated all this wealth, and he was getting old. And he said, when I die, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put me in my, at that time it was a Cadillac, but um, Mercedes-Benz, well, I don't know, whatever. Whatever's their great car of the day is. Whatever wealthy people drive. Well, I don't know what they drive today. I'm not one of them. So Lexus, whatever it is that you drive, but this, this fancy, everybody knows it's a fancy car. I want you to put it in. I want you to dress me in my best silk suit. Because right, that was big in the day, you know, it, you know suit and here, get in there. And then I want you to put my best bottle of whiskey right beside me on the seat. And I want you to light up one of my Havana cigars. You know, it was very expensive in those days because we weren't communicating with C- Cuba, but they could get we got illegally in any way. And I want you to I want you to light it and stick it in my mouth. 
And then I want you to take my car. We're here by the, the coast. And I want you to aim the car over that cliff that goes into the ocean. And I want you to turn it on, put it in gear, and let me go. How about that for a burial? Burial at sea. All right. And so they did. They put him in the car and they, they lit the cigar, cranked it up, put it in gear, and let it go. And it was drifting down the road, and the road was going to turn, and it was going to go over the side. And there was a guy walking down the side of the road. And he looked at this guy. He says, now that's really living. That's really living. Isn't that an interesting story? Isn't that, now, it was a joke, and he told it a lot better than that, but that's really living. But the guy's dead. But all the trappings, all the things that you would associate, wealth, prestige, uh, pleasure, it's all sitting right there, and it looks like he's alive, but he's dead. And and that confusion, I want to say it's it's one of the things that concerns me for you today because I do know that there is a difference between my life and your life in that you have social media. And social media can be so deceptive because you can have pictures of people that are really living who aren't living at all. It was a number of years ago that I had a person I knew pretty well. And I'm not on social media. I don't, I don't go there. Somebody showed it to me. But it was a picture of a friend I had known. And she was sitting there on a porch with her cup of coffee in the early morning, and there was a description of how wonderful life was. Right? Here's how wonderful life was. A couple months later, she was divorced. Now, divorces don't happen in two minutes. Right? They don't happen because I want to have a... You know, it's, it's always a painful experience. You see, in that picture... She's sitting there, and I've got, got my cup of coffee, and life is great. But life wasn't great. It couldn't have been great and end in divorce a couple, well, again, it was a very short period later. Does that make sense? You see, that joke is, is the way we kind of go. We, we pretend that we're really living, but there's all these problems. So, before we go, think about this for tomorrow morning. What do you, now, when you're doing this, this is where your honesty part comes in. Uh, you got to honestly say, if you thought about what life really is about, what would it be? Because we can all say, oh, this would be wonderful, and we don't think it's wonderful. It's like those things we go to a potluck dinner, and they say, did you like my uh, meatloaf? And you go, yeah, that was really wonderful, really wonderful. All right? And we were building the buildings here. In the very beginning, this was 50 years ago. We used to work every Saturday on the buildings, and then the ladies would bring a potluck sort of thing at lunch, all right? Every week I voted for what I thought was good. There was a lady, her name was, we, we knew her affectionately as Aunt Bonnie. Aunt Bonnie would bring fried chicken. It was the best fried chicken I've ever had in my life. And I did not get in line until Aunt Bonnie was there with her fried chicken. If somebody would ask me, do you like the tuna casserole? Oh, it's wonderful, tuna casserole. But I'm going to vote over here. All right? <laughs> I'm going to vote by picking up the chicken. And I remember times when I sat out there, and there was a couple of us that had particular affection for that chicken who would not get in line. We just sat outside waiting for Aunt Bonnie to show up because she was often late. And I liked it because everybody else would go through the line, and then I had a fair chance at that chicken. 
Because no matter what I said about anything else, the truth was I loved that chicken. I used to go at the potlucks we had at the church to, to the dessert table first because I loved cherry pie. And there was a man here who could make a cherry pie with something else. You guys can go through that line. I'm going through this line. I'll eat my dessert first because if I wait, I'll never see that cherry pie because it's that good. All right. You see, what I want you to do is tell honest truth. What do you see as that path of life? If you had life, if you had the experience of life, what would it be? And then what would the inward experience be? What are you looking for? All right. And we've got to stop there and we'll think about what Jesus offers and what he says about it all. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come before you and we give you thanks for your word. And we give you thanks that it's truth. And we're coming and asking you to enable us to enter into that. And we look to you for it and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.